Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. People like my guest today, Joanne Roney, OBE, the first woman to be Chief Executive of Manchester City Council. You know, it's the passion, it's the pride, it's the people, and it's just such a powerful, empowering place. Joanne took over office from the great man Sir Howard Bernstein, who had been Chief Executive of Manchester City Council since 1998. And Sir Howard was on the We Built the City podcast on our last episode to launch the new series. She was born in Birmingham and grew up on a council estate in Shard End. So although she's not strictly Mancunian, she says she is now. So you're going to find out exactly why she feels that's the case. Joanne, welcome to We Built This City and thanks for making time in what I know is a very busy diary to talk to me. Delighted to be here. Good to see you, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining. So you took up your role as Chief Exec of Manchester City Council in 2017 and you're not Mancunian, but we've (laughs) adopted you and you said that Manchester is in your bones. So what makes you feel like you're a Manc? Oh, gosh. Um, You know, Manchester's always kind of, has always been a place that I've come to and visited and it was always the place that you came to professionally to to learn from. So uh, I've got a great affection and affinity with this city Uh, but being here it's like nowhere on earth is it it kind of just seeps into your bones doesn't it you can't it's it's so hard to describe it and um you know it's the passion it's the pride it's the people and it's just such a powerful empowering powerful place you just you know the lockdown's been so difficult personally I just and professionally it's just because I miss the buzz of the city mm-hmm. so much and it, mm-hmm. it, the only way to describe it is it, it seeps into your bones you just become mank don't you you certainly do and so when did you kind of think or know that you might be getting the job did, was that something <laughs> you were building up to was it a part of the plan um so I was the chief executive of Wakefield I'd been there for about seven or eight years and um I love Wakefield and we did some good stuff there you know I was really proud of the Hepworth Gallery and uh, kind of the rebuilding the city centre but you know eight years you start to feel a little complacent you feel a bit like you're reinventing things like reorganizing the council again and you're doing things that you've been through um I kind of felt like I'd got one big job in me and I guess I didn't have a career trajectory as such. I suppose part of me always thought I might go back to Birmingham where my family are. But then the Manchester job came up and I was in two minds and I rang Howard and had a a long chat with Howard about it. And I just thought, you know what? I think think I'm attracted to this city. I think I'm excited at the, the bonkers ambition here and the scale of it. And I thought, I'll go. You never know if you're going to get the job. So, you know, your first decision is to throw your hat in the ring and then the rest of it's a process that you go through. Uh, And all the way through the process, I was just getting more and more excited and more and more desperate and thinking, oh, I really do want this. I really hope they want me. I really really do like it. But even when you go through all of that, the, uh, the day you get the call, it was shock and awe and fabulous and terrifying (laughs) and you were the first ever woman chief exec of the city council so 
was there any pushback around that or I mean, just interesting to know because 2017 seems very recently for us to have our first female chief exec so how was that 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 sort of became more relevant to me when I got here and it, it sort of dawned on me that I'm the first female chief executive and uh this is a, a a really good council in terms of strong women and um some fantastic elected members here on the executive team that I work with that were just great so I I came into an organization where I felt empowered from day one as a, as a woman because mm-hmm. I was in that kind of supportive culture and that supportive environment I have to say some fantastic women uh, in business in this city who wrapped a network around me from the very, very, very start. And I I thank them all, really. Uh, some fantastic women colleagues that, um, who, who created that space for me outside of the council to, to kind of learn and grow and talk and develop and um, experience Manchester mm. in a, maybe a safe space. And, and so I felt really privileged and I think that's grown in me you know as I constantly ask myself what do I stand for what's important to me and the words inequality and equality are always in there and and then I come back to well you're the first woman Joanne you know Mm. that's that's um, something to make sure you build on Mm. and that that talent development and that approach to equality is writ large through everything you do. Mm, such an achievement and it's so great for us for so many people to kind of aspire to be prominent in a civic role as well as you say I think we have got an incredibly strong network of women in the voluntary sector across all sectors of Manchester but it's great to have a woman leading us for sure and did you ever feel that because you weren't Mancunian that people were going to have an issue at all because like Andy Burnham got a right load of flack didn't he but he's done all right so (laughs) Yeah, well, that's because he supports the wrong football team, isn't he? I mean, I don't think there's a man alive who cares about the fact that I support Birmingham City Football Club. You probably all just feel really sorry for me. So um, did I get a pushback for not being... uh, I suppose um, I wouldn't say it was a pushback, but I think it would be fair to say that I was not known in this city. So coming here as a woman, not known... Um, I guess the first year was a tough one because people were sat there watching mm. and um, I had a lot to prove in the first year. And of course, I had an incredibly tough start as well. Yeah. And so I think I had to work uh, quickly getting up to speed, quickly steeping myself in this city and listening, listening and learning was really my watchwords for the first phase, really. Uh, and not thinking that I could come here with a blueprint of my own and tell people how it was meant to be. That was just not going to work here. What was going to work here is understanding and getting into into Manchester as much as uh, I could and then think about, well, how do I start to shape things to get the outcomes that I've been appointed to deliver, really? So... So I don't think a pushback, but I think definitely the first year was uh, watching me and judging me and seeing if I could step up to it, I guess. And of course, you know, I was stepping into big shoes, wasn't I, as well? Well, and also stepping into an immediately massive situation for the city. So you'd just taken mm. post, hadn't you, a few weeks before the mm. Manchester Arena bomb? And that was the same for Andy Burnham, I think, at the time. So you both mm. thrust into that situation, which no matter what your blueprint had been for the city, that must have just sidetracked you completely. So how was that for you, having to jump into that that time of anger and, and, and sadness? It, it, it will be with me forever, really. Um, it had a profound effect on me personally as well as professionally. Um, You know, I've always said, 
uh, it was the worst of times for the city, but I saw the best of the city as well. I actually really saw how the city rallies around, comes back, works across all sectors. I think, you know, I was involved not not just with clearly the incident and, and the aftermath of the incident and the organising of the vigil and the concert and all of those things, but uh, ongoing involvement through the We Love Manchester charity. You know, you look back now and I think that was 27 million raised. 27 mm. million pounds raised was a phenomenal amount of money. Um, but and being the steward of that charity and making sure that we use that money widely was a was incredibly important. And I've obviously stayed in touch with the families and still work with the families. And I, I've took so much from that. Some of the families are just unbelievably brave mm. and incredible. Um, working with them on the permanent memorial, just just being part of um, that that tragedy is just going to be with me forever. And of course, how the staff responded. I have so, so many memories um, of so many fantastic moments um, that just saw the best of people and the best of this city, and it will be with me forever. It's absolutely true, isn't it? It's when people need to get together in the city, we're, we're very good at doing that. And I think one of the the things that I've noticed and we'll talk about the pandemic shortly but the fact that the town hall currently is closed off for refurbishment and we also can't gather in numbers that gathering there as a city was so um, cathartic wasn't it at the time we needed to be there and I I felt we needed to be there a lot recently and we it's just not possible currently. No I know I mean you know that that kind of first year of closing the town hall as well, major project, major responsibility to do the town hall uh, and to re, to make sure that's refurbished to its full glory. Um, yes, I agree. The, the coming together, it's, it's it's part of what we do, isn't it? Mm. Um, it it's, it's the strength and we feel that energy and we miss each other. And, and um, yes, we'll need to think of doing something somehow, I'm sure, because it, it, it is what we need as a city. It's how we heal, isn't it? We come together. We heal and we stand strong. We do unite. We absolutely do unite here. And we saw that through the incident. We saw that through the arena bomb. And we'll see it again. We'll come together again, I'm sure. If you're loving We Built This City, please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform? Thank you. So you've certainly had some challenges. Um, what else do you feel that you've had to get to grips with in the past three years before we talk about the pandemic? Yes. Well, I guess, I guess the priorities were pretty set for me by members when I when I came here, really. And um, I remember, uh, you know, Richard was really clear with me. He said, "We want to we want you to get the basics right." There were some real issues here. There was rough sleeping was one. Street cleanliness was another at the time. There were some our children's services were failing, you know, our school entertainment results weren't great. Um, so the, the priority was, Joanne put some attention into the council and get the, the, the basic services right. There was also the um, underlying issues around um, inequality, as I've mentioned, and uh, whilst Manchester's been incredibly successful in so many ways, the real challenge was making sure that that prosperity was connecting to the right places mm. and the right people. So there was a, a job to be done that, particularly around skills, and I'm really pleased to lead on skills for Greater Manchester and work with Andy on that because it's part of absolutely me and my own journey. So I'm really passionate about that. 
uh, there were other things about health and social care integration, improving children's. And then, of course, it was keep the prosperity going, keep keep the regeneration going. And of course, you know, that, that thing about being judged and would I do that? So for me, one of the big successes has been that we have made progress, particularly around core services, particularly around reshaping the council, you know, making it digital and agile and all, all those internal bits, the, the budget and the financial strategy, but also better outcomes for children pre-pandemic, children's out of special measures and, you know, being good, good, safe services for our children. Schools have been phenomenal. Health and social care integration is going well um, and, and economically successful. And we were, you know, we were still delivering major large scale regeneration as well as resetting our strategy. So all of those things are in the Our Manchester strategy and that's the kind of guiding document. And uh, my job is to make progress on all of them and, uh, and adjust what we do as we go, such as zero carbon, you know, which is kind of the new objective that went in from the original strategy. And, and it's great to see that we are we'll, pre-lockdown. We were making fantastic progress on all of those measures. And, yeah. uh, and, I, and that's been brilliant. And building the team around me to do that it's not me is it it's the it's the team around me that delivers on those things and just building that team and uh we've been flying it's been brilliant it's yeah. been really brilliant and then of course just as i was getting into the swing of things they're going to throw another emergency at me <laughs> I, was, I was talking to howard on the last podcast and sir richard said in the last series that all the work that been done prior to the crisis so for example the ira bomb at the time or the arena bomb all the work that had been done still came in really handy to deal with the crisis. So that works yeah. in the bag, isn't it? To be able to yeah. kind of build on those those values and those strengths. Yes. And I think, I suppose the last, this year has just been so tough, hasn't it? And so relentless for everybody, for everybody and affected people in so many different ways. Um, in, in the midst of all of this, when I saw that we'd got a planning committee with a billion pounds worth of projects going through for approval, that's when you know that that pipeline, that hard work, that graft that we put in to, to keep the economic regeneration of this city at the front of our minds, not for no other reason, but to generate prosperity and wealth for the people who live here, to see a billion pounds worth of planning applications going through in the midst of all of this, I thought, you know what, Manchester, we're still pulling it out of the bag. We are still doing it. Uh, and my team are just amazing, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well, that gives us lots of hope. And I think even though the city centre feels very quiet at the moment, it still feels that all the infrastructure is busy. It's still happening. Yeah. That bit's not stopped. So it's a pause, yeah. isn't it, for now? And it's going to it's continuing yeah. in the background when we're ready to to kind of pick that back up. again. Oh, yeah, this is absolutely the, the, the work has not stopped. You know, we've reset our strategies. We've rethought the shape of the city. You know, we that work has gone on at pace to mm put us in a good place to bounce back fast. And I'm not just saying that. Centre for Cities did a, a recent analysis and said of all cities in the UK, the city that is most likely to bounce back the fastest will be Manchester. And that's because of you know, the work that's underway now to, to, to make that happen. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. And also the numbers of people, apparently the numbers of lettings and sales in the city centre that have been done in terms of residential yeah. has been through the roof. Yeah. So people definitely want to live in the city centre, don't they? Yeah, rent differentials. We were comparing our uh, rent, uh, commercial and resi rent levels um, with the rest of the UK. And uh, we've had this, uh, we've only had about a 1.8% drop of rental levels in city centre, um, gone up 
out of city centre, interestingly, commercials and resi. But uh, London have had big hits, but we have not seen that. Mm. Other cities have had big hits, but, you know, uh, that that I think that's about confidence in the city as yeah. well. It's partly our pipeline. It's partly the work we've done to produce the strategic regeneration frameworks to to rethink our approach to investment in the city and you know finally Piccadilly Gardens and uh, but other bits as well about you yeah. know um, Anne Coates and the back of Anne Coates and the work we're doing up there um, making progress on Northern Gateway. Um, hugely excited about uh, North Manchester actually with the new hospital and the joining up of Northern Gateway and the opening up of all of that but Mayfield's doing well you know, it's all of those things being in play making progress all of that builds confidence I think and mm. and I and that goes with you know that DNA that I mentioned at the start really we're the place that gets it done aren't we we come together and we get it done and we uh, do. that's what pays off that's what puts us in the mm. position we're in it's all of you. It's all of you. <laughs> Everybody who's listening, yeah. Yes. So I can't imagine how stretched the resources are currently and disruption to health and life and all that kind of stuff as, as a result. And I saw your tweets about the agony of reviewing the Manchester City Council budget and there was real pain in that post. Oh, really? So areas you know, where you may have to cut and going against mm. the decisions that go against the grain of what's important to you. How how was that for you? Because it could really feel that agony. Yeah, I try to um, keep my tweets lighthearted sometimes, but every now and again the the, the, the kind of real real emotion uh, creeps in there. But um, yeah, this is this is ten years of austerity at a time when local government has responded so brilliantly to the pandemic. You know, we are alongside NHS completely. Um, and then to have budget, to be setting a budget strategy where you're finding £50 million of cuts, uh, which, which are, because of the austerity means we're cutting into services now. We're going to stop doing things because there's nowhere else to go and get that money. Um, that's, that's a hard one to lead. That's a hard one to, to deliver as messages to staff, redundancies, you know, at, at redundancies in a workforce that have given... 120% of their heart and their passion and their energy to coming through the lockdown. Uh, this is the toughest budget, budget I've ever set. Uh, mm. we don't, we're, we're in the process of having to plan for the budget. We don't get the final settlement till, I think we get it Christmas Eve or something. It normally comes out at, at that time when we are, I'm normally reading budget announcements Christmas Day at some point. Um, so we won't know till kind of the new year what the full extent is going to be, but all, all writing, all, all the writing is that um, it, it is going to be as we've anticipated it. We're massively hit with reduction in income to the council, uh, mainly airport dividend, but also business rates, lots of business rates. So it's a it, it's an incredibly tough one. And you're right, this is personal, this is emotional. Mm. I feel it deeply, deeply, um, and I don't want to do it. I really, really, you know, we we don't have a choice. I go to prison if I don't set a budget. So I, we have to do it. We have to get on with it. We have to, and we're going to have to call on all of that, those resources that we've called on from private sector, voluntary sector, you know, all of us. We're we're all going to have to pull together to rethink how we deliver the outcomes we need for this, for the people of this city. Yeah, on top of everything else, um, this is a tough, tough, tough year. Mm. And you're dealing with um, issues such as skills and housing, education, employment anyway. So how 
do you actually prioritize what you need to do first in that situation? Well, I guess, I mean, the point, the point about the role of the, the council is to, to do that influencing and that galvanizing of others to that, that common objectives are set out in our Manchester so it's not me everything's important and all of it has to come together so it isn't as if I just say well children matter the most therefore nothing you know children and the future for our young people has to be a priority but so does the protection of the most vulnerable in this city so does tackling uh, employment challenge the labour market challenge that's got to be there so you know it's not me it's a team I have a brilliant um, uh, tier of management I did a big leadership session yesterday I have outstanding staff here and we my job is to galvanize all of them to come together to work as one uh, not to say well that bit of the council is fantastic but that bit struggling we have to come together as one and deliver on all of those objectives Um, and that's what makes the difference for the city um, and we've been doing it, you know, we have been doing it and we've been doing it through the lockdown, you know, uh, staff who could work from home, work from home, staff who couldn't work from home. We were redeployed into doing other stuff, you know, the, the flexibility of, of the staff in Manchester has been phenomenal. Uh, and we've the voluntary sector have stepped up hugely here as well. Uh, and businesses, I mentioned earlier, you know, couldn't have done half of what we had to do. Um, had it not been for the contribution from colleagues in private sector and businesses, you're always alongside us and it, it makes a real difference here. Mm. We don't even have to ask. You're just there. <laughs> and it's Whether great. Whether or not. <laughs> well, well it's it just being there, you know, just offering the support, coming up with the ideas, providing that kind of challenge as well. It, it's, it's important. And uh, that's how we make the progress on everything that we need to make progress on Mm. not by just saying that's important and that's less important move on all of it yeah I think we've really seen that and and certainly it was so obvious to anybody how fast the council mobilized itself at the beginning of the first lockdown and I think you're getting something like two and a half thousand meals out a day to vulnerable people so yeah don't like the word but you pivoted didn't you and then you the voluntary sector supported you in 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 just in feeding people to start off with Absolutely. That that yeah, that was um that was that's like a blur when I look back, I sort of March, June time. That was completely huge. You know what one of the things about that people may not know is that so it was emergency, it was emergency planning, it was absolutely clear the decks and galvanize and um we set up a helpline, we got two thousand meals out, we you know, we had to get some business support grants out straight away. We had to, bearing in mind, I employ 7,700 people. I had to do, I had my own organisational challenges. One of the things that I, I, I really kind of thought worked well for us was, um, so when Richard and I sat down and said, right, this is the situation, this is what we've got to do. We said there was going to be three focuses. One was people and communities. So who do I galvanise around people and communities and what do I need to do there? One was going to be the council, the future shape of services, our employees, my my, respo- my responsibility to the seven thousand plus staff I've got, uh, and the future, you know, the funding and all that, all of that. And the third one was economic recovery, and we said in March we would plan for how this was going to affect the city economically. So we didn't leave it. We didn't wait till things got bad. So we have been working on all three. Communities, residents, 
the council as an organisation and our partners and economic recovery since March. And I think that's what's put us in good stead, that clarity, that focus and the galvanising of resources around those three things. Mm. So you've done a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I've seen and I've seen how hard you've worked and I know that you've not had a day off for a very long time and that in actual fact, I think you said that you've been negotiating recently in your pyjamas at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah, you did hear me um, talk about when we were negotiating the um, the tiers and the business support package that um, we wanted to get when prior to coming into to this second phase of lockdown. Um, we'd finished the negotiations at one point I'd gone to bed and then the phone rang and said, we're we're reconvening, Joanne. And um, I did say it was quite surreal to find myself with me, Eamon Boylan, um, senior civil servants, and I was sat there in my pyjamas thinking, (laughs) the world has really gone mad now, Joanne. (laughs) I am actually trying to land a 70-odd million pound deal in my pyjamas. That's a first. Camera on or off? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying. (laughs) It's evident that you're a grafter, Joanne. So you've always worked in a civic role and you started working at 16, just like Sir Howard Bernstein, actually, as an apprentice in, in, in local council, which Birmingham City Council Housing Department. So... How have, did you get from being on that front desk to being in the town hall? So, yeah, I did start. I come, I come from a quite a deprived part of Birmingham. I left school at 16 because I just, I had no money. I was so fed up for being poor. I just really was. I'd no, I, this is a genuine story. I'd never had a new coat and um, I'd always had hand-me-down coats. And I just, uh, although school wanted me to stay on and do A-levels in university and stuff, I just wanted to have some money so I left and took an apprenticeship uh, with the council and my first day at school you know this story Lisa but my first day at school was on the repairs desk now this is the housing department repair desk where they open the doors and people come in and report the repairs and I'm supposed to write it down and pass it on to the tradespeople. I'd, I'd had no training whatsoever um, I was 16 years old they said sit here write down what people tell you is broken and hand it on to the tradespeople. The doors opened, about 200 people ran in, and I think it was about the second customer who threw a dead rat at me on the desk and said, I've got rats, what are you going to do about them? And um, I just think whether that was just a metaphor for um, how my career was always going to be, I just don't know. But I do remember thinking, oh, good grief. And I think I kind of just stuck in and thought, oh, what do I do with this person? And they were very clearly upset and I didn't really know what to do. But I can't remember how I dealt with it. Oh, I don't know. But I just, that that's the kind of start to your career, isn't it, really, that says be prepared to deal with what's chucked at you, I guess. And if you can if you can cope with that in this job, um, you can, that that's the best mindset to have, um, cope with whatever's coming at you and deal with the unexpected. Um, how I got to be here was about, you know, I've moved around a bit. I have worked in uh, local, but I also worked in the voluntary sector for a while. Um, I had other career highlights, included working in Birmingham Council, uh, around the Homeless Persons Unit in Birmingham Council. And there was Edwina Curry, people may have heard of her, was the housing chair. And she shut the homelessness service down and said that there is no such thing as homelessness. So we all went mm-hmm. on strike. I think I got mm-hmm. sacked, actually. Anyway, I went to join Shelter then with Louise Casey that people may have heard of. And uh, so I spent some time in the voluntary private sector 
And then I worked in development then. I got a job in development because I decided one part of homelessness was about helping people, but the real answer was about building homes. So I decided to go and work for somebody who built homes because I thought rather than be at the front end of dealing with the consequences of people not having adequate housing, mm -hmm. why don't I get involved in the part of the business that's about providing it? So mm -hmm. I worked in housing for a while and then through housing. The, the answer to why I'm here is I probably owe as much to bad managers as I do good managers, because I think one of the things that always encouraged me to apply for a job, and I've worked my way up and done loads and loads of different things, but often it was because I was thinking I could do a better job than the person, or, you know, or I just wanted to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just applied for every job. And I've always said that there aren't many jobs I, in local government or that I haven't worked at and worked on. Mm -hmm. um, and as I, so, and then I, I came up north um, because my heart got broken. And so I left somebody who came up here and just decided to leave Birmingham and start afresh. Oh. So I just thought, oh, time for a fresh start. So I came up oh north and I've loved the north ever since. So. Amazing. Well, Manchester's better than any any bloke, isn't it? Let's face it. Oh, so. that's true. <laughs> that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, this is my heart is only here now. It's not going anywhere else. <laughs> Manchester won't break your heart. It's interesting that you said that because I just read a book. Have you heard of um, Glennon Doyle? No. She is amazing. Um, she's got a book that I've just read called Untamed and she talks about her voluntary work and she said that she and lots of people spend the time downstream pulling people out of the stream or the river yeah. and what you really need to do is you need to go upriver yeah. and, yeah. and figure out why they're falling in the first place. Yeah. I thought that's so true. That's what you've obviously, that's what occurred to you when you, you changed that role. Yeah, I think that, I think there's a lot to that. I think if you're in a job where you are at the sharp end of dealing with things, it, it is worth trying to kind of get up river. I think that's right. Go go to the source and see if you can, can't influence and make a change there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I just believe in that really. I think, um, I, I still think that now when I'm, prevented when I'm confronted with issues it's kind of let's get to the root of it what why are yeah. we here not you know kind of can we avoid it and, and that's why all the work about prevention services and all of that stuff is so important here yeah to try and uh, you know to, to try and go to the root cause and solve it and solve it once is so important yeah I totally agree with that and how do you refill your energy levels to get up and go again with all of this going on? The answer to that question genuinely would be my energy comes from people and, and the more I'm around people and the more, you know, we can share ideas and think things through. You know, I think it's a mistake to think that you're the leader of the organisation and you've got all the answers. Actually, as a leader, I genuinely believe in developing others and developing the talent. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't had opportunities to develop. So it's important I do that. And I get my energy through listening and talking to people and sharing ideas. And, and therefore, lockdown has been difficult for me because apart from it's just been full on relentless dealing with stuff <laughs> to mm. deal with. And, you know, a lot of that coming down from high. And so a lot of it being responsive rather than planned. I really, really miss the interactions. I really mm. am finding that kind of, uh, you know, it's hard. You can't get the same level of interaction through Zoom and digital, can mm. you? And um, no. 
yeah that, I, I mean that's just being honest I find it I find it I, I'm sure I'm not alone and I'm sure I'm in better circumstances than many people but just speaking personally I find um being locked down and being isolated and not being with family and friends and colleagues you know really 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 tough got quite I got quite tearful seeing all my senior leaders on a zoom call yesterday it just made me realize how miss I how much I am genuinely missing all my staff and mm. my walkabouts to the city center and my drinking and eating with colleagues <laughs> we'll come on to that <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's so true I mean we 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 changed PR a while back to purposeful relationships and I think Manchester is definitely a city that's built on that and certainly in challenging times this is when the when they are so powerful and I've been blown away by the number of old relationships that have suddenly reinvigorated reignited now and the, the sheer number of new ones that I forged yeah. I know lots of other for, people have forged certainly in 2020 and it's it's feel like kind of the worker bee the hives come alive so how how is has that felt to you and what impact do you think relationships have in Manchester? Oh, I, I, well, I agree with you. I mean, I think it is part of the buzz of the cities, the mm. interaction, isn't it? That, mm. is, that is what we do. And um, I, I didn't know anybody when I came to Manchester. I mean, I, it was, I look back now, I think, really, Joanne, honestly, what, what were you thinking? But so take um, long. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, that isn't that just a testimony to how friendly and welcoming and, yeah. and, and brilliant the city is that... Um, now I, I genuinely do feel I can go out in the city and there's somebody there. If I want to talk mm. to somebody, I can reach out to them and they're there. Uh, and and hopefully these aren't just colleagues now, they're friends for life. Mm. I hope so, because um, that's, you know, I, I think we've been through so much together. There's quite a lot of real, real empathy and support and fun to be had in this city with one another. So, um yeah, I think, you know, we're all feeling that. There's a lot of talk about work and whether work will change and whether things will be very different post-lockdown. And I think maybe patterns of work will change. So I'm not sure I've heard anybody um, desperate to return to the Monday morning commute en masse. But, but I think the novelty of working from home wore off by about July, I think. Maybe it was OK, we could sit in a bit of garden for those who've got gardens and you know, I'm in a flat, um, it wasn't quite the same. But I think the novelties wore off. I think people, and I think people have really come to value the the need to be together. And also the cross-organisational conversations, even if you're talking in Zoom calls and in your organisations, it, it's still hard to get that cross-sector conversation and diversity and engagement. And uh, I kind of think we're all looking forward to... Um, getting through this and then that's my job let's get through it as fast as we can I say to get us back to normal that's kind of what focuses me the most I think mm. at the moment and talking about relationships you have to be there for lots of people and lots of people need your time and your guidance your advice who's been there for you oh gosh um so my family are always the rock for me um, they keep me grounded. They haven't got a clue what I do for a living. They don't understand it. <laughs> so they just think I'm Joanne, really, and they're not particularly very interested in stuff. Every now and again, they say, oh, there's things in Manchester. We've heard you on the news or something. <laughs> you know, they just keep me really grounded. And that that helps, actually, to just, you know, they've got issues of their own, haven't they? Like the children are unemployed and losing jobs and things. And that that that's a real distraction from my own stresses yeah. is to to be grounded, to be come from a large family and to be grounded in them. Um, I've had 
the most amazing network of friends for about 30 years. They're all in different parts of the country and different parts of the world. I have to say they they equally have known me for 30 years and are uh, not at all phased by my job or indeed very interested in it. And so they're a great sense of support. And professionally, I will say the team around me here are fantastic. We keep our spirits up all through lockdown. Our Friday evening uh, kind of close of the week emergency planning meetings are normally end up with some good humour and, you know, real morale boosting, um, look, caring for each other sessions. Mm-hmm. And um, Richard, Sir Richard Lease, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a complete privilege for me to work for Sir Richard Lease. I think it's the, it's just, you know, I have such respect for him. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we managed to get in a dinner and a drink uh, before this lockdown, the last night before this lockdown. And uh, and that will hold us through, I think, till we'll probably hopefully go out December the 3rd. Um, so we because, you know, Richard professionally, um, absolutely wise, wise words, clear focus um, and uh, just personally hugely, hugely supportive of me, as have other elected members and other people. But um, mm. I will say throughout the tough times Richard's been a complete rock yeah that's wonderful to hear and just we'll just touch on the fact that you are a social animal Joanne so <laughs> I know you've been frustrated by not being able to get out for a glass of wine um I'm obviously in Manchester like, a city of restaurants culture arts music it's got a lot hasn't it and that's all the stuff that we can't enjoy right now how important is that to you I mean do you really take advantage of, of what the city's got to offer Oh gosh, yeah! I still love exploring Manchester. I just mm. was one of the one of the highlights is for people to say, "Joanne, have you been here?" And would you? And me say no, and they say, "Would you like to come?" You know that that's great. Um, so yes, um, just 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 to say, it's not all just about the drinking though, Lisa. Before you completely <laughs> trash my no. uh, professional <laughs> reputation in this podcast, there you know it's about the socialising and the conversations, isn't it? Of course, to do like yeah. a glass of wine with most who doesn't, but. Um, uh, yeah, it's a huge part. And I, I you know, I love it. I, I, people have said, have you got a favourite place? And I haven't actually got favourite places. I mean, I've got, um, you can you can normally find me in Salou Wine Bar, um, having a kind of after work drink there, but, or a cocktail in 20 stories when I'm in the mm. mood for a cocktail or um, everywhere <laughs> yeah. you go, you bump into somebody and you have a conversation and they're all of value. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. We've got clients that come up from London. They can't believe how long it takes us to literally, you know, walk across two roads because we're just stopping talking to everybody. And it's it's fantastic. Roland Transfield is really fascinated with values and we we changed ours. We got to grips with ours two years ago and it's changed our business and it's how we are professionally and personally now. And if we go off track a little bit, we've got that to bring us back to the centre. So Manchester City Council's values are people, pride and place. And I love that. It's very apt. How do you interpret those? So we've got the um, we've got our own core values. I must say, I do love your uh, Ron Dransfield's ones. We've had a look at them. We we have a similar set about listening to people and um, working with passion and bringing pride to work. And, um, you know, all, all of those things that you would expect as a kind of set of core values. Uh, for me, I think it is about what you bring into the workplace do you know bring your pride bring your passion um and that's about getting the outcomes for the people here and mm-hmm. um never forget that it's not it, that's what we're here for um in local government people talk about us being public servants i've never known that phrase to resonate more than here where we 
in the DNA of this sick council is the need for us to do right by the people who live here. That's the tone that's set from the very top with um, elected members and myself and the senior management team, but it goes right down to the front line. The pride and passion of the workforce was never more evident to me than, I guess, on the, the night of the arena attack. I remember a couple of days later going out to meet the night shift of the street cleaners who had turned up that night, turned up for work as usual, and, and talking to them. And, and um, I mean, they'd been fairly traumatised by what, what they'd met with. Um, but they'd stayed there, they'd stuck at it, they'd really helped, they'd really put themselves forward. And I was talking to them and asking them, and they just said, well, you know, Joanne, this is Manchester, this is what we do, this the city needed us, and we were just going to stay here for that. And the same was true for the managing of the floral tributes. And, you know, this was not about me having to ask people to do anything. This is just what they bring to the ethos that they bring to the job that they do. And that's writ large here mm -hmm. in all sectors. Um, so that's what pride and passion means. And for me personally, it's about making sure that, you know, I walk the floor here and I meet the staff and I inject that and I talk to people and I live those values and I demonstrate those values and that I communicate what I stand for, what we're achieving collectively. And I recognize people for doing the job that they do and bringing that pride and passion to work. And I tell you, one of the best nights I have here is the Award for Excellence for the staff. Oh, good grief. It's just, we should televise it. It's so amazing. <laughs> it's so amazing where, you know, you hear the stories about what the staff do here. Uh, it, it's, it, it's honestly, mm -hmm. I think even if I retire, I'm going to still come back just for that night because I can't think of a more uplifting experience mm -hmm. than to sit in the room and listen to what pride and passion means to the workforce here and how they bring it every day. And it's great, even in tough times. And I think that's, it's the unsung hero, isn't it there? They don't, they do stuff and they don't ask for the thanks. I think John Thompson said that in a, in a previous episode and he said it's about doing something good and not saying, put, yeah. putting your hand up and saying you've done that thing, you know, it's, yeah. it's wonderful to All see. We have um, a programme where we do, um, you can have three days volunteering. Oh, good grief, it's phenomenal. And I do my volunteering down at Mustard Tree. And I think it's so important that we talk about social value and we put it back in. It isn't just bring pride and passion to work. It's bring it to the city as well. Mm. So use your volunteering and get out there and uh, and work with local communities and voluntary sector and support people. And partially it was about um, making sure that we always stay connected to our community and our residents by volunteering out of the job that you normally do mm. into community and voluntary sector work. And I think that's re that's really important for those staff who aren't necessarily frontline. They could be some of the back office support. They, that as a team, you know, they do some great work. You know, all of them do great work, um, whether it's decorating a community centre or doing some reading to children in schools. You know, there's so much that we do. I think it's important. You know, it's just important to say, to remind ourselves that everything we do is about delivering for the residents of this city. Mm. That's it. It's never about just what your job title is, is it? It's Absolutely. about what outcome, what difference we're making. And we yeah. all need energising around that sometimes. So the best way to energise is to volunteer. And that's why, you know, I think we had about, when the lockdown came, I think we asked the volunteers, we've got about 1,800 staff <laughs> kind of put their hands up straight away. And yeah. there they were down at Smithfield Market, packaging up food parcels, driving them around. It's just unbelievable workforce. Hopefully I'll be able to call on them again, as I'm sure uh, we've got some tough times ahead.
there's always a time when your values can be tested. So have you ever had to compromise your values in order to achieve something specific, maybe for the greater good? Not sure I've ever compromised my values because I think my integrity is very important to me. Um, I think sometimes, like everyone, I'm human and I could have maybe done something better or handled that slightly differently or maybe I wasn't at my best behaviour. I didn't bring my best self to that conversation. I think some of <laughs> we're all human, aren't we? And we all, um, you know, nobody's infallible. But I don't think I've ever compromised my integrity. I found some things difficult. You know, I, I kind of was with Andy on this negotiation on the business support package with government, and I thought that was an odd process that I look back on and think that that felt disingenuous. And I find that difficult because we were doing evidence-based arguments for what we needed as a support package for the city, not politics. I found that, I found that uncomfortable, shall we say. Mm. Um uh, so, you know, you, you in this job, you walk those lines sometimes where you find yourself in situations where you think, mm, I probably didn't sit too comfortable with me, but I don't think that's about my integrity being compromised. Uh, that's because I've got a real sense of knowing who I am and what I come from and where what I stand for. And actually, I've walked out of relationships because of integrity. So, you know, it's Haven't not going comprom- <laughs> to get compromised in work, is it? When you're, when you're, when you're strong of say yourself and you know mm. yourself you just and you get to a certain age I guess you're just not for having your integrity compromised but that's not to say I'm in, not infallible and I haven't got things to learn and I'm not um, always perfect by, by, by a long short but I think I'm pretty stable and pretty clear about who I am and what I stand for and what I, and what I expect from others you know we don't deviate from that. Legacy we've talked about legacy briefly but it feels to me that we said there's a lot of organisations and people in the city and in Greater Manchester who put in more than they take out. And there were a lot of Mancunians, obviously. It was great to see in the Queen's birthday honours who were honoured. I mean, Marcus Rashford, Sally Penny, yeah. Professor Brian Cox. You've already created a legacy in three years and obviously there's going to be so much more to come. But what do you want your legacy to be? Um, gosh, um, I, I always, well, I guess it's for others to, to judge what my legacy is. I mean, I, I guess I've got an overriding view that people will say I left the organization in a good place and I left the city in a good place and that I've moved it on um I guess on a more personal level going back to your point about things I could do better or do you know should have done more of I, I still think we've got a real challenge around inequality inequality in the city and indeed I've got a challenge around uh, equality in the workplace still I've, I've said women are well represented here that is not true of black and Asian uh, minority workforce here so I and I think I was slow to recognize that when I when I look back we've got some great work going on with some really talented staff now and listening to them kind of tell me their stories I felt bad I felt bad to, that I was hearing it and thinking why have I not heard this why did I not see this why did I not ask why did I not get deeper in this um, and so I, I would genuinely like to think that people will say, Joanne really, really, really put her energy and her focus into developing the talents that exist in this city, creating the pathways for children to succeed here and for us to have a, a stronger evidence and narrative around addressing equalities and inequalities in the city. I, if people know me for standing for that and doing the best I can, 
on those items, that, those those issues, then uh, I'll, I'll feel like I've I've made a my my little imprint in this amazing city. That's wonderful. Thank you, and we're very pleased that you're working on that, Joanne. That's that's great to hear. So we've got some quick fire questions for you. <laughs> okay. I know you're a Birmingham City fan, but you've got yeah. to choose Manchester City or United. Oh, Which no one chance. is it? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to choose because I, well, I, I, I love both clubs and I go and watch the football at both only because I've never seen Premier League football, football before. <laughs> yeah. So what, a, what an absolute joy that is. I tell you, it's like a whole different game. I love it. <laughs> it's just not the same as the sporting cop. Um, I, so I do love both teams. Um, both teams bring such um, opportunity to, to to Manchester. They're both globally significant. I love them both. I, I will single out City in the, at the moment because the, the the way they've worked with us on lockdown has been phenomenal. I know uh, I'm sure Man United have done some great stuff in Trafford too, but using their facilities, particularly around testing and all the work we've been we've been doing with them around supporting us on PPE and various other things has been phenomenal really they've been fantastic partners mm. for us so um a, a huge thanks to them they are they are amazing and we're so lucky to have both clubs we, uh, we uh, and are. they're both brilliant yeah. yeah and it brings a lot of visitors and it, and it helps you know yeah, big um, boost the economy isn't it what's your favorite building in the city um Okay, so I'm going to say the town hall because obviously it's a project uh, that I'm working on. And um, I was so pleased when I first started the job, I was my office was based in the town hall and I got to bump into the Peaky Blinders, clearly. <laughs> absolute pleasure for me, family, nearly, and <laughs> almost. And uh, Hugh Grant and various other people. So I loved my spell in the town hall, although it was short-lived. Um, and my other favourite building isn't built yet, but it's going to be the factory because that's another one of my projects and it's going to be a game changer as we come out of lockdown and this will be the one that really puts us back on that international map with a vibrant city so it's not built yet and it's going to just be stunning and I'm going to love it forever. It's so exciting because our, our office is right by there and it's just so exciting to see that go up and it's huge, isn't it? It's going to oh be... Oh God, yes, I know. It is really huge. <laughs> yeah, it is fantastic. If you need a breather to have a moment for you, where would you go and walk around town? Uh, Castlefield. Mm. Basin probably. But I, I just love the city centre really. Yeah. So um, I won't lie, a bit of shopping, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can find respite in Selfridges occasionally, <laughs> but um, I, I am I'm the person who really likes the Christmas market. I'm going to miss the Christmas market this year. I know. I, I, oh, good! I, I, you know, I, I genuinely do like the Christmas market. I used to travel up from Birmingham to Manchester's Christmas market, so yeah, I like the Christmas market. I, I really like the city. Actually, I, th- I think the other bit is it, there's bits of it that's just so stunningly beautiful, isn't it? Mm. That we don't we don't pay enough kind of acknowledgement to you know the art gallery the museum when I first came here and I was on my own in the city and nobody knew me and I didn't know anybody and it was tough um I'd spend every weekend just in the art gallery or the Mm. central library and just and Ryland's library yeah yeah I just felt my soul uplifted Mm. just just in those places I think they're they're quiet and they're peaceful and and of course the cathedral and um 
the cathedral's beautiful, isn't it? And that's where yeah, I, 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 in my quiet weekends of solitude, I'm normally in one of those places mm. um, because they're great. They're just great. They just take me there and I'll feel better. Surprised I'm not bumped into you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm often disguised. <laughs> I've probably got a hat and sunglasses on and <laughs> no makeup. <laughs> so, and also, what would you order at the chippy? Oh, well, I'm a brummy, aren't I? So that's just fish and chips. Oh, yeah, of course. That's just straightforward fish and chips. No, no gravy we, involved then. No, no, no. We don't do that. Just fish and chips just will fish do. fish and chips. And what's the best thing to come out of Manchester? <laughs> oh, gosh, there's so many good things, isn't there, to come out of Manchester. You know, I, I obviously, I'm here because of the suffragette movement, but I'm not... That's too easy. Do you know what I'm going to answer to this question? Because it's an insight to me and it will surprise you all. But So I've mentioned that I come from a big, large family and I love my family and they're very, very dear to me. And um, even though they're all in Birmingham and I miss them terribly at the moment. Um, my connection growing up was um, my mum always used to listen to the radio. So my mum was in the kitchen cooking. And she never ate with us. She used to just put the meals on the table and then go and sit in the kitchen. And she was always listening to Radio 4. So she got me into radio and Radio 4 and stuff really early on. The only thing she ever watched on television was Coronation Street. And that was <laughs> our time. So we used to sit down and watch Coronation Street. My middle name is actually after a character in Coronation Street that I was named after. So Coronation Street has been... In my life, it's one of my earliest ch childhood memories is watching Coronation Street before I went to bed. So I am going to say, for me personally, the best thing that's come out of Manchester is Coronation Street. And um, my screen photo on my work phone is me outside the Robes Return. And oh. um, I kind of just thought, <laughs> if my mum was alive today, she wouldn't have been proud that I was the chief executive of anything or indeed she would have been quite pleased when I got my OBA, but she would have been thrilled to bits that I'd been to the Rover's return, I tell you. <laughs> she would have been really impressed by that. So I'm going to have to say on a purely personal note, because of all the memories it brings to me and um, all the love that I have for my family and for this city, it's got to be Coronation Street. Oh, that's such a lovely answer. And I've got to ask, what's your middle name? <laughs> nah, I might not tell people, <laughs> but it is a character from Coronation Street. Right. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll if anybody can guess. Yeah, we can have that as a. You can have a drink with Joanne Roney after. Yeah, I'll, yeah. There you go. Post lockdown drink. Pull a pint. The first person who guesses my middle name. <laughs> I've introduced a quiz to your podcast series now, haven't I? Lisa, sorry. Oh, thank you. And finally, what words of comfort or encouragement do you have now for people who love this city to help them feel confident that we're going to get through this together? I think the first thing I'd say is um, I, I recognise how devastating this has been for people, everybody affected uh, by this to, in different ways, but uh, huge, huge impact on Manchester. People have lost people that they love and People have worked phenomenal hours and people have struggled with their mental health, with their physical health. People are worried about their jobs and their future. So let's start by saying there's no underestimating the impact on this and um, tirelessly being reminded in my job what the effects are going to be. The words of comfort are we care about you, we love you and uh, we're there for you 
and that we're going to come through this and we are working flat out to protect you, to care for you, to do everything we can to get through the pandemic and to come out of it the other side with a new strategy, an economic growth strategy that has got all of those elements that I said at the heart of it, making sure we grow, we prosper, but that that addresses equality and inequality in all its forms in this city. And well, we, we, we can get together again. We can get together again and we can be together again. And, um, you know, metaphysically, I'm giving my big hug to you all, but I really look forward to hugging as many Mancunians as I can get my hands on, if that's an appropriate thing to say <laughs> or not. But, um, you know, I kind of, that's what we need to do. We need to put a big hug around each other. And uh, that Manchester hug is there from me to all of you who want it. Fran, that's so lovely. Thank you. And it feels like we're in such great hands, safe hands, and we're looking forward to that hug. And I think so many people would want to thank you for all the work you've done the last three years and definitely the work that you and your team have done in 2020. You've worked tirelessly for Manchester and its people. And I just can't wait for a glass of wine, a cocktail at 20 Stories, because that's our client me, you, and the competition winner who finds out your middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. And uh, look, thank you for having me on. It's been a, a real pleasure. And I love this podcast series. It's a real uplifter for, for anybody during these times, Lisa. So thank you and your team. And, you know, we're all just doing our best. That's all I can say. I'm just doing my best. And so are my team. And thank you. Thank you. You're doing a great job. Thanks, Joanne. Joanne Roney built the city by doing right by the people, by negotiating in her pyjamas and by taking everything that's thrown at her, even if it's a rat. We Built This City is out every Thursday when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Mancunian. If you want to find more out about Roland Dransel PR and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years, 0161 236 1122. Thank you and see you next time.